Hey, good morning, everyone. Paul Douglas, one of the pastors here at Delray Baptist Church. Appreciate the kind words, Garrett, earlier. He and I were having coffee earlier this week. You know, we're doing like preacher talk. And uh, I told Garrett, I said, I'm really looking for an illustration. He said, how's the sermon coming? I said, it's coming great. Really enjoying uh, my time in the Word. I was out of town for a while. I had a time to, to read and study, and it was really refreshing. And down at Fort Hood, uh, Texas, TDY. And uh, I said, I've got it, I've got it about 90% solution. I, I said, I'm looking for an illustration, really, to start off with. It would help really... Uh, communicate pain and suffering in a way that would be helpful. He said, well, just share something about yourself. <laughs> and so I don't, think you, I don't think you really meant it that way. I, I'm just joking. I, I don't think you really meant it that way, but I took his advice. And so the reason I preface that this morning is to say that I'm going to share some things in the outset about me, uh, but it's not about me. It's about things that I've learned over time that I, I have a burden to communicate to you all uh, that I, find, I think will be helpful from my time in ministry and some encouragement for you, and I pray that it will be useful to you. So this morning, if you would, uh, let's join together in prayer, and then we'll go to God's Word together. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks that you are a good and gracious God. You love us. You care for us. You provide for us in ways that we do not even understand. Father, this morning, you've drawn us sovereignly together. Uh, as we come to be encouraged, Lord, through the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray together, your word that is expounded, Lord, we give you praise for all these things. They do encourage us. And, Father, we pray this morning uh, that you would lead and guide me as I bring this message. Uh, Father, that you would be glorified. And, Father, we will give you thanks at the end of the day because you simply are our God. Father, thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, many of you may not know me. The newer members may not know me. Uh, a lot of people have come in by God's grace. We've seen a, a, a very uh, gracious move of God and, and a lot of individuals that have come into the church. And uh, so, I was here for a, a number of years uh, as pastor, and, uh, and really, it was really a blessed time to be here at Delray uh, and my wife and I, over the years of ministry that we've served, 20-some-odd years, in various churches and different places, one of the things we've learned is, is that ministry is, a, is a, very rewarding, uh, a very rewarding calling. It is a very high and sacred calling. Uh, it also has some hard places, very difficult places that you go through. I was a, uh, by God's grace, a hospice chaplain for a number of years, and I learned during that time uh, what it's like to hold someone in my arms as they die and to be with them in that sacred time just before they slip away into eternity. And that, that marked me deeply. And I feel that I, I learned a great deal during that time about pain and about suffering and what that means to people. I was also now, I'm currently an Army chaplain. I've been an Army chaplain, and I've seen firsthand and up close that death is no discriminate is not a discriminating uh, concept, particularly in combat. I've seen how young and vigorous men can be torn apart, can be maimed and crippled. I've seen widows and orphans, and I understand the pain that comes with that package. And even now, something the Lord is taking me through just in my 
in my own personal walk, uh, some medical issues that I have. The doctors don't really understand these things. I don't understand these things. And through that, my gracious and loving God is teaching me what it means to lose control and to be stripped of, uh, of control because I'm a control freak. So in stripping, me, in stripping me of that, he has been so kind because I have had to lean upon him more than ever before. And there is great love in that. And so in all of these things, the reason I share these is that I can share some things with you this morning based on my experiences and experiences of these areas I think will be encouraging for you. I've learned, really, that in all of these things, a lot of things, but, you know, uh, when you get to approach middle age, you know, you realize that wisdom is wasted on the, uh, on the, old, on the older. But the, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that life is fleeting. It is fleeting. We should really hold on to it loosely. Uh, because it is as sand just slipping through our fingers each day. Another thing that I found is that there is real pain and real difficulty in this world. But as we approach a message like this, it's, it's not good for us as believers. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in, in Christ, you're not a follower of Christ, you may be a fan of Christ, but you're not a follower, understand this. The reason Christians approach these kinds of uh, messages and we look to God's word uh, in times that we, as we prepare to deal with these things or deal with them as we're going through them, is we do this with joy. And we do this with good cheer. Uh, because Jesus, our Savior, has told us, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so we look to our forerunner. We look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We trust him. And we say, as our Lord has overcome the world, we too have overcome through him. And so we realize that we're transient here. We're temps. Uh, we're, we're exiles. We're aliens. We're strangers in this place. We should be uncomfortable here uh, and not comfortable in this life as the ultimate end, but uncomfortable in anticipation of our ultimate destiny, which will be in heaven with our Father. And so today I want to encourage you as we go through this. Those are a couple of things I've learned. I want to share in this message with you. And I hope that uh, as you approach difficult times in your life that you can be hopeful. And you, with the comfort that you've received, that you can comfort others as they go through difficult times. And that you uh, can be a factor or a force uh, for mercy in, the, in their lives and be open to God's mercy in your own life as you struggle with these things. So... I've witnessed firsthand how difficult it is for Christians to do that, though, in some cases. It's a struggle. It's not improbable. It is, a, it is a challenge. It's not impossible. It is a challenge. A lot of times, we're, our flesh is weak. We get embroiled in a very difficult time, and we fold up like a piece of, of cheap lawn furniture under the weight. And that's why we need people to come alongside and encourage us and pull us up with God's word, and, and that's why he's given us a community of faith, amen, that we can come alongside each other, and we can be the family of God and encourage our brothers and sisters. So a gospel that does not take into consideration the realities of pain and the realities of difficulty in life is half a loaf. The full loaf is a gospel that does not cringe from that, does not withdraw from those hard realities, but addresses them. And that is the beauty of the gospel 
our gospel of Jesus Christ addresses the difficulties of this life, takes them on head on. So for those that maybe have difficulty sometimes in in being cheerful and being hopeful and being joyful and being encouraged in a time of adversity, I hope this will help you. These aren't shattering revelations that I'll share with you this morning. These are things we already know. These are basic, it's like Christianity 101. These are things that we already know, but we have competing allegiances. And sometimes they get misplaced, and sometimes they, they get obscured. And so we have to be reminded, just as I'm reminding you this morning, to revisit these things and to be encouraged by them. Also, we have something working against us, our flesh, in that over the years, we've been living in this alien environment and we've been programmed or developed or conditioned in a certain way to think about things in a certain way. We've been wired to perceive things in a certain way. And when we become believers, we're renewed, we're regenerated, we're justified, we're, we're made new, but we still have this flesh. And so what we pray for and what we look for as we mature and as we grow in Christ and as we go through progressive sanctification and we mature is we pray that the Lord will transform our minds and sync our minds up with our hearts so that we can live our lives with a biblical perspective of what life is and what it means. And so just as Paul said in Romans 12 too, he says, he said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good and acceptable will of God. I know that for those of us who are believers here this morning, we truly desire to live out the will of God in our lives for a watching world as well as for our own comfort and benefit. If that be the case, then there are things we need to understand. There are things that we need to prayerfully consider. And we need to go before God and say, God, I don't understand these things. I don't understand the conflict here. I don't understand. Help me. Give me wisdom. And James, it tells us that, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. And it will be given abundantly. That is a promise. You don't get it all at one time, though. It comes over time. So as I go through this message, I want to share with you three things that we need to understand better, that we can pray that the Lord will reveal to us as, as we look to dealing with difficulty in, 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 in our lives and being hopeful and being joyful in the midst of those things as much as our fallen flesh will allow us to be. We need to understand some basic truths and revisit them often. And the first one is we need to understand our true citizenship and our identity. We need to understand our true citizenship and identity. It is a fundamental fact that a failed understanding of our citizenship and our identity in Christ will lead to a failed method in addressing difficulty when it comes. Second thing is this. Understand the problem with problems. Every problem is unique and it's different, but there is a common strand of DNA that runs through these things. And if you understand the mechanics behind the problems, it'll help you understand the way to react to the problem. So we can understand our citizenship and identity. We can understand the problem with problems. And we need to understand our weakness and his strength. So I pray that these things will be helpful as we move through them this morning. And if you would, take your Bibles. You have the Bible there in front of you. And go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. 
And we'll look at verses 3 through 9 with focus, but I want to read the salutation as well. So 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9, and we'll focus on 3 through 9. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. It's important. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter, what a dear brother. I know that all of us can see ourselves in him. We see a man who's weathered a great many of his own problems. And he's come to a place now where he writes and he encourages these brothers and sisters who are struggling. And he's writing to a a group of uh, both Gentile and Jewish converts that are believers that are living in an area we now know as modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And they're struggling. And they're persecuted. And why is that? Well, they live in a society that is adverse to their faith. They live under a government that is at odds with their faith. They need help with their marriages, it sounds like. They have difficult work. They have difficult bosses. And it sounds like they're having a lot of the same problems and struggles that we have today. And so as we look at just the way he addresses them, We can find parallels and similarities. So we see him address the readers as elect exiles. Now, usually in the salutation, we just run across that. We're anxious to get down to to the, but we don't need to run across this. We need to stop and back up. Because he refers to these believers who are living under these adverse circumstances and going through difficulty. He refers to them as exiles. Now, the thinking behind that is if you're in exile, that means that you're not in your homeland. You're away from your home of record, as we say in the military. You're in exile. So he reminds them, hey, this isn't where you belong. You're in exile in this place. And so we see this theme running through the Old and New Testaments in the Bible referring to us in the same way as pilgrims just moving through this place. As, as aliens in this world. 
as strangers in this world. It is a strong and abiding theme. The exhortations and commands and the parables, all of them are graciously given to us by God to remind us that this is not our home, that this is not the ultimate end, that this is just a place that we're moving through as we head homeward. And we see Peter reminding these dear brothers and sisters of this out of the gate. That this is not your home. This is not the ultimate end. There is no permanence to this life here. This is not the place of your citizenship. You are in exile here. Now, church, one of the things I've seen straight up is that, in my experience, is that believers, by and large, do not grasp this concept. Not as heartily as we should or could or need to endeavor to embrace it. When we, become, when we become familiar with the fact that we're strangers here, that we're away from our homeland, and that we will ultimately return home, it changes everything. It changes everything. Your perspective changes when you realize that this is not where I'm supposed to be indefinitely. Suddenly, things take on a new perspective. Peter reminds them of this. We see it in God's word. By faith, in Hebrews we read this, by faith, it says that Abraham went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham went out in faith. He knew that this was temporary. He was endeavoring to make it home. And Paul tells us the same thing in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the verdict is in on this, in case you didn't know. This is not where we belong. So we're exiles. Peter, before even going to the problem, he doesn't focus on the problem. He stops and reminds them of these things. You're a stranger here. You're an exile here. Then he points them to Jesus. And then he points them to God's mercy. And then he reminds them of their salvation. And then he reminds them of the terminal objective of every believer is to abide with Christ forever. And there is our inheritance. There is our treasure. There is the end game. And he also throws in that God's going to keep that for us. That it's not contingent on our performance because we fail. And that is too priceless to have at stake. So he says, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to guard you. And I'm going to keep you just so you don't fumble on the one-yard line, because you will. So before even going to the problem, he nails down these facts. And church, listen. We do this all the time with sin. When we're, when we're counseling a brother and a sister who's just vapor-locked over some, some issue or some sin, they're languishing in it, we say, wait, hey, sit down. Look. Take your eyes off of this thing and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Don't look inside because all you'll see is everything that's dark and wrong and twisted and perverted. Look outside. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. 
and break their gaze from inward and turn it outward. Philip Melanchthon used to write these long letters to Luther just telling how, how horrible uh, his relationship with God was and how fearful he was of not being assured of salvation. And Luther finally just got fed up and he wrote him back and he said, Philip, he said, the gospel is outside of yourself. Church, we need to be reminded that when the horrific news comes, when the tragedy comes, when the horrific news, the unthinkable, the diagnosis when the metallic taste rises up in the back of your throat and when your chest is tightened up and you feel the terror of, of, the, of the issue just gripping you and you feel like you're going to pass out, what do you do? It's like a train wreck. You want to look away, but you can't. You're just locked on to that thing and it, and it eclipses you and, and it obscures the truth. And that is why we have to break our gaze away and to refocus on Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I know at this time I have no control over this. I know that I'm an alien in this world. I know that you are waiting for me in heaven where my true citizenship and inheritance lies. I know that this is temporary and that this is not permanent. I know that my inheritance is for eternity and this pain will only be for a while. Lord, I know these things sustain me through this difficulty. You see, the narrative, the internal narrative, takes on a, a different twist when you realize that this isn't where your ultimate end is. Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us, he says, If you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I used to tell people there's only two ways to see Jesus. You're either going to see him when you go to him, or you're going to see him when you're coming with him. Either way, the word of God says that we will abide with Jesus forever. So it's critical that we understand our true citizenship. And that it lies in heaven, that this world is not our home. It helps us when pain comes. It helps us when adversity comes to be hopeful. And that's the reason why I've heard non-believers talk about Christians. They say, you Christians like you're on drugs. He said, you know, the, uh, you know, something really difficult comes up and you got that goofy smile on your face. What's going on in your head? I said, well, it's not going on in my head, brother. It's going on in my heart. Because I know that this is just not all there is. And this isn't where I'm ultimately supposed to be. This hurts. It hurts. But I have a loving and gracious God who is sovereign over all of this, and I trust him. So now let's talk about identity. In times of great stress and discouragement, it's not advisable that we understand where our true citizenship lies. It is imperative that we understand where our true citizenship lies. But the two of the one-two punch is understanding your identity. And so again, in my experience, something I've seen over the years in doing ministry is that many times we don't really get these basics. We, we, we've run past them, and we need to go back and revisit them. And so when we see Peter talking about being born again, that throws people off. A lot of people don't like the term born again. They're uncomfortable with it. I think it's great because it really under, explains what's going on. Let me tell you the first birth. Let me tell you the benefits of the first birth. The first birth is you're born in the flesh. 
with a sinful nature. You inherited it. It's congenital. You just got it by virtue of being born. So you're destined for judgment and God's wrath because you inherited a sinful nature. We're feeble and we're born with a death sentence. Last time I checked, mortality rate was 100% for human beings. We're born with a death sentence. We have a sinful nature that we've inherited and we're born under the wrath of God. Now, we may have a family name, we got a social security number, we got a birth certificate, and we are citizens, at least in our case, of this country. Brother and sister, listen. That is not the inventory that you want to have in your arsenal when you face life's toughest challenges. You see, that's why Peter tells these believers, he says, you've been born again. And it's important that you understand the second birth because here's the second birth. Now that you got your citizenship down, this is what legitimizes your citizenship because you've been born again to a living hope. We've been born again according to the Spirit. We've been born again and justified through faith in Christ. We've been born again with the promise of eternal life. We've been born again with a new family identity. We've been born again with an inheritance other than God's wrath But we pass out of God's wrath and into eternal life. And we are by rebirth citizens of heaven. Amen? So we understand not only our citizenship, but who we are in that heavenly kingdom. Now, Paul, that's good preaching, good good preacher stuff. But how does that play out? Well, I'm going to tell you this again. The internal narrative, when when you tackle these adversities that come your way, when you feel the pain and you just lock down on it, and you revisit those things, and you confess your citizenship, and you remind yourself where your ultimate end will be, and you remind yourself who you are, that you're born again to a living hope, not some dead philosophy. You're born again to a living hope, Jesus Christ, not some scientific approach to life. You're born again by a living hope in Jesus Christ, not some mysticism. You're born again to a living hope, not some fruitless idolatry. You're born again to a living hope, not some dead pursuit. And again, the pain begins to subside and you remember who you are and you sober up. And it's like, this hurts. I got to go through this, but Father, thank you for reminding me who I am. By the way, a lot of people always like to refer to Job during these times. They say, well, Job, Job really was a great uh, example of suffering and a great example of how to deal with adversity. Well, Job understood these things. That's how he was so good at what he did, at getting through the difficulties. Because we see Job lose everything, and Job said, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job didn't curse God. Why? Because he understood his citizenship. He understood his his nature at that time and the way that that God related to man. Job understood these things. Weren't a mystery to it. So understanding our citizenship and identity in Christ are the best interventions. Listen, you can't, you can't pretend to go at these things with some positive thinking. You can't pretend to go at these things with, with some life coach. You can't pretend to go at these things uh, with some hocus pocus. That is the pattern of a fallen world. As believers, we go at these things differently. We confess our citizenship and our identity. 
So the second thing is this. So we need to understand our citizenship and identity as we, to be hopeful in the midst of, of difficulty. The second thing is we need to understand the problem with problems. Well, in order to be hopeful in the midst of adversity, it's helpful to understand the mechanics behind some of the drama that we face. And what do I mean by that? Well, listen. Every problem, again, is unique. But the way that we perceive the problem from a biblical perspective will help us to deal with the problem. Let me give you an example. We go through life and our sanctification, and we see in God's word very clearly admonitions about friendship with the world. Amen? We, we've seen these things. Don't be a friend with the world. Don't love the world, the things in the world. If anyone, does not lo- if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First John. We see these things about separating ourselves. There's this constant uh, encouragement to pull away from the things of the world. And progressively, over time, we begin to see, if we're growing healthy, we begin to see that there's just a lot of utility to things. In other words, our vocation does not become a primary means of status. Our vocation is more of a utility by which God just blesses us and lets us bless other people. Then we see that our relationships don't define us, but we see God working in those relationships to help us grow intimately uh, with, in a complementarian way with our spouse and also to grow intimately in our knowledge of him. Through those relationships, God uses those. They serve a utility. We begin to see money and possessions. Uh, they just become a means by which we can bless other people. And we begin to see attractiveness and education and health and things of that nature. They're blessings from God, but we don't own them and we hold them loosely. And we're grateful for what we have of them. But if we as believers don't press in and pursue God to, 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 to know his will in these areas, what happens is these things can become idolatrous to us. And suddenly we see our vocation becoming a primary means of status. We see our relationships beginning to define us and drive our decision-making process. We begin to see money and possessions that become obsessive and covetous with us. We begin to see attractiveness and health and, and other things as a primary attribute. And they become idols. Secretly, we begin to love them. And we lust after them. And we masquerade on the front, but deep down inside, we love them. So let me tell you why that matters. Are you listening? Listen. If you find yourself in that place, we set ourselves up for failure. I mean critical failure, epic fail. Because what happens is, is when a problem comes, it will separate you from those things. It will separate you from your vocation. The problem may separate you from your health. It'll separate you from your vanity. It'll begin to separate you from those things. And there's a concept known as dissonance. The distance between the two things is directly commensurate with the, with the despair and the, the anxiety and the, the depression that comes. So, that's the problem with problems. And if we begin early on and take a preemptive approach to separating ourselves from the things of the world and not being friends with things of the world, realizing that we're in the world but not of the world, and seeing all of these domains that I mentioned as just being utilities through which God works, if we do that consistently over time, then when the pain comes, when the difficulty comes, guess what? It just pushes us to what we truly love. I'll give you an example. I'm sitting in the doctor's office waiting to get some tests back. 
And the doctor says this. I don't mean to scare you, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, granted, I'm flesh and bone just like anybody. You know, there's the impact, certain impact. You just got to take what we call center of mass, man up, take it, and just move on. I don't mean to scare you, but, and she went off on this thing. And I thought about it for a moment. And I said, that could be disconcerting. And I was really watching myself because I didn't want to be prideful. But by the same time, I thought, I'm really not scared. And I said, Lord, am I being, pri- <laughs> am I being prideful about that? But I, Lord, I'm really, not, I'm really not terrified. And so I pray to God that he will continue in my life and in yours to help to push us away from the idols that we can resurrect in this life and that can, can so easily obscure his promises to us. And that when trouble comes, our world won't fall apart because we placed our faith in things other than the living God. Amen. That's the problem with problems. The last thing is this. We need to understand the weakness inherent within us. And we need to understand his strength. Our weakness and his strength. So understanding our citizenship and identity is a primary intervention. Understanding the problem with problems, the DNA behind the problems, helps us to be hopeful in the midst of those problems. And finally, understanding our weakness and his strength. Now, some of you might be listening, and those of you that are listening, you might be saying to yourself, well, Paul, I've experienced some great pain. I've experienced tremendous pain in my life, and and I have come to places where I can say this morning that I have not trusted God the way I should. I have in the difficulty that I've experienced, uh, I in my heart have not given myself over to him in a way that would, that would be, uh, that would be uh, uh, glorifying to him. I have failed when the, when the heat was turned up. I have fallen down. I have not done well with dealing with, with the adversity. I have not been hopeful in the midst of it. I have anguished. Now, I want to tell you this morning that you're not alone. Many of us in this place, we've done this. And I want to encourage you in this. This is a difficult saying. But if we get to a place where we can see our weakness as a doorway through which God can operate and to change us and to mold us and shape us, we'll find that some of the best things that God has ever done in our life were done in those furnaces of adversity. Some of the most lasting change will come during those times. You may say, well, I still feel it's just I'm failing God. I'm concerned. Well, listen, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The road that he's taking you down, the things that he's allowed to come into your life or for a good reason. And he is a kind and gracious God. He is doing his will in your life. Paul also said in Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. By faith, we believe that he is working in us. And there may be times that you falter. There may be times that you fail. But it's all about the posture of your heart. You turn to him. 
Father, I feel as though I'm failing you during this time. This adversity is more than I can bear. You see, when you're so vulnerable and open like that, that is when he can do his greatest work. But when you go to the problem and you say, Lord, I got this. Lord, help me to handle this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be strong. I'm going to keep putting my head down and going forward. When, when you approach things in that way, I just don't know how fruitful that will be for you. Weakness is not always a bad thing if we look at it in terms of yieldedness and not weakness. You see, when God strips you down and takes you out of the equation, that's when he can do his work. That's when he gets the glory. Paul said this. He says, so to keep me from being too elevated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul was used mightily by the Lord. He said, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elevated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, and hardships, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then he is strong you may feel like you failed God you've not failed God God loves you he is guarding you he is keeping your inheritance safe you have to go through these painful places where we're stripped down and he builds us back up he takes us out of the equation and he grows us I want to share a quote with you here and it's a lengthy quote, so bear with me. I think you did this last week, lengthy quote, bear with me. But listen, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, a primary qualification for serving God without any, with any amount of success and for doing, doing God's work well and triumphantly is a sense of our own weakness. When God's warrior marches forth to battle, strong in his own might, when he boasts, I know that I shall conquer my own right arm and my conquering sword shall get me the victory, defeat is not far or distant. God will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. He who reckons on victory thus has reckoned wrongly, for it is not by might and not by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. They who go forth to fight, boasting of their prowess, shall return with their gay banners trailing in the dust and their armor stained with disgrace. Those who serve God must serve him in his own way and in his strength, or he will not accept their service. That which man doeth unaided by divine strength, God will not own. The mere fruits of the earth he casts away. He will only reap that the seed of which was sown from heaven, watered by grace and ripened by the sun of divine love. God will empty out all that you have before. He will put his own into you. You see, that's not part of the things that we hear. We hear from this pulpit and other pulpits, but by and large, these are the messages that you don't hear because it's all about feeling good. It's all about, you know, the Burger King approach to theology. Have it your way. It's all about me, but it should be all about God. It should be about our understanding of our true citizenship and our identity when we have difficulty come our way 
so that that internal narrative is correct and mirrors a biblical perspective on life and not just some template that we've developed over time and we try to press on to God's word. We need to understand the problems with problems. Can you truly say that you count all things to be rubbish? That you might know the surpassing greatness of God? Can you say that? Or have you erected idols secretly, love affairs with things, that when difficulty comes, it'll separate you from them and the pain will be great? A loving father has anticipated that and has told you to pull away from them now, to focus on him because he loves you that much. He says, get ready to come and be with me. Love, the, love your life here. Enjoy life here. The blessings and abundance of those things. But distance yourself from those things. And finally, understand our weakness and his strength. The word of God says in this passage that he has caused you to be born again. Just like Obama told us about, you didn't build that. Your salvation, you didn't build that. God caused you to be born again. He drew you to him. Listen, if God were to draw everybody in the world, we wouldn't have a place to sit in here. But God has drawn you. That should make you thankful beyond all measure. And this morning, if you're not a follower of Christ, and you feel some drawing to this message this morning, that you hear things that resonate with you, then look to Christ and be saved. So, we need to understand that difficulties in this life will come. Jesus has told us as much. But we as believers, we look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. He has overcome the world. And by his grace, we too can overcome the world. Understand your citizenship and your identity. One more time. Understand the problem with problems, the reason why they hurt so bad. Understand why. And finally, understand that it's not about your weakness, but it's about his strength. Amen? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks today for your word. Pray that we would be encouraged as we leave this. And Lord, equip us as we face difficulty. Uh, Lord, let us face difficulty in a way that glorifies you to a watching world. And Lord, help us, even in our times of struggle, to be reminded that you carry us. Uh, Lord, you have lovingly provided for us in ways, again, that we do not even understand or see in this life. When we come to be with you and have the mind of Christ, then we'll see just how close you were to us all the times that we felt you were so far away. We love you and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.